Welcome to My Life Chassidus Applied, episode 237. A special 220th Yutas Kislev anniversary edition. Being that this Tuesday will be Yutas Kislev, the Rosh Hashanah of Chassidus will be the major focus. Rosh Hashanah of Chassidus, we're doing Chassidus Applied. My Life Chassidus Applied, obviously Yutas Kislev is the Rosh Hashanah of everything related to Chassidus, including this program. This uh, program is dedicated in honor of the marriage of Mendel Jacobson and Sarita Felig on the night and eve of Yitzhak Kislev this week, and in merit of their parents, Yerachmila and Rivka Leia Jacobson, Tzvi and Tzvi Meir and Shoshana Felig, and grandparents, Rabbi Tzalel, Olava Shalom, and Fegi Shetichia Jacobson, Rabbi Shleim, Olava Shalom, and Shoshana Shetichia Kaplan, Mr. Yasef Mordechai, Olava Shalom, and Miriam Tichia Shatichya Felig, and Rabbi Meshe Yitzchak and Rivka Olav Shalom Hecht, dedicated by Yerachmiel and Rivka Leah Jacobson. So let's begin. Yutas Kislev. Yutas Kislev just coming right here. Tomorrow night begins Yutas Kislev. It all extends into Yutas Chav Kislev, because the full Geula of the Alter Rebbe extends it to the extra hours into the day of the 20th Kislev, with all the details involved. So there's much to say. We've talked about this a number of times, and I'll cross-reference to episodes um, 91 and other episodes that I've talked about. I don't have them all marked. I apologize. Okay. So with that said... Yutas Kislev Rosh Hashanah of Chassidus, as we know, because as the Rebbe Rashab says, that on this day began the Iker Inyan of Yafutza Maynasecha Chutza. What is Yafutza Maynasecha Chutza? These are the words Mashiach used when, when uh, Baal Shem Tov asked him. Baal Shem Tov went up Rosh Hashanah, Tovkov Zayin, Rosh Hashanah, to Ganeidin, to the Hechel of Mashiach, and he asked him, Emasai Kosima, when will you come? And he responded, Kishi Yafutza Maynasecha Chutza. It's actually based on a verse in, 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 in Mishle that when your wellsprings will spread outward. And the Rebbe Rashab, Tere Sholem, the Sikha says that the Iker of Yufutzman and Sechachutza began in Yutas Kislev after the Alter Rebbe left Petersburg. Petersburg is Petersburg, where he sat in prison for 53 days, which correspond to the 53 chapters in Tanya. And as it's known, the arrest and liberation were not just physical in the sense that it was somebody that informed on him and the government arrested him, but it was also in heaven a question whether the Alter Rebbe was doing the correct thing in spreading chassidus to everybody in a way that could be intelligently understood, even to people who are not necessarily on the highest levels. Up to that point, even with the Baal Shem Tov and the Magid, it was taught selectively and it was taught in much more in, in debrief. The Alter Rebbe was beginning to explain it with examples, making it very accessible. What was the challenge? Because these inner secrets, it's like going into the Holy of Holies and not being ready to enter there. And other explanations given as well, because the power of what Chassidus can accomplish, in bringing the Gula, you can imagine all the forces in opposition stood up to resist it. So there was the imprisonment, but then the liberation was a vindication that yes, the time has come to spread chassidus in this fashion, 
which is essentially the process of bringing the Geula, because when Mashiach comes, will be Teirosah Shal Mashiach, will be Primus HaTeirach Siddhis. Mala Oris Deis Hashem Kamayim Le'am Chasim, the world will be filled with the knowledge of God, as the waters cover the sea, as Yeshaya writes, and the words of the Rambam, Lo'i Eisek Kola Elam El Ladasas Hashem Bobat. The entire business of the world will be nothing but to know God. So the knowing of God in the direct way through the inner dimension of Teda, as Chassidus explains it in Seichel of Chabad, that we can understand it intelligently, began in full-blown fashion after Petersburg, after Petersburg, after the release from prison. As it's known the story that the Magid and the Barshamtav and the Magid visited the Altarab in prison, and he asked them, what should I do? I'll be released, what should I do? They said, not only should you continue, you should, not only should you not stop, not only should you continue, but you should continue with even more intensity. And that's what the Alter Rebbe did. And we can actually see the distinction that the Maimonim that he said before, even that was relatively more than, than earlier generations, but the Maimonim that he began saying after he came out of prison was far more elaborate relative to the Alter Rebbe. And of course, Continue to elaborate, be elaborated upon by the Mitla Rebbe, the Tzamech Tzedek, and the Rabbeim, all the way to our Rebbe, the seventh generation. So what we have with Chassidus, Zayi Yem Tchilas Masecha, the famous letter that the Rebbe Rashab wrote, what you have with Rosh, your Teskislev, is not just a memory of the sad events that were quite, quite, uh, quite frightening at the time, but a celebration of the Geula, the Geula of the Alta Rebbe, which represents a Geula wasn't just a personal re- redemption, but a redemption for all Chassidim, for, for the entire world. As the Alta Rebbe writes in his famous letter to Rav Levi Yitzchak Badichev, that the nations, the Sari HaMalucha, the ministers of the government, meaning non-Jewish ministers, also recognize Higdal Vehifli, the great miracle and the wonder that happened here. And the Rebbe explains in a number of sikhs because Chassidus and the, rebel, and the rebel, liberation of Chassidus and its spreading was not just about Chassidim and Eden, it actually affects the entire world because it heightened the whole spiritual consciousness and the whole spiritual standard that affects everyone. Because as I said, the world as well. So its impact is not just on a select few, but really global and universal. And that's why it's called Rosh Hashanah of Chassidus. Rosh Hashanah, like Rosh Hashanah literally is the race of the year, the head of the year, not just the beginning of the year. It encompasses everything that's going to come throughout the year. So Rosh Hashanah of Chassidus, the Rosh Hashanah is that it encompasses the power to the, the liberation and the dissemination and the proliferation of Chassidus throughout the year. That began 220 years ago and each year only increased, as I mentioned, each generation and each year only increasing. And its message to us is very straightforward. Whatever Chassidus is, this is the Rosh Hashanah of Chassidus. And what is Chassidus? Chassidus is the inner dimension of Torah that's meant to, just like a body needs a soul to give it life and energy and passion and in turn and integration and internal primis, vitality, the same thing in Torah. There's Chassidus at Torah. You could say Gufud the Torah, like the Zayar says, the body of Torah. That's the mechanics of Torah. It's, it's the same Teda. The mechanics of Teda is what you're supposed to do. What do you do on Shabbos? What are you not supposed to do? All the mitzvah sesa, mitzvah slesas, and all the Teda Shabbat Pen, the halachas of, of, of all the generations. But the Neshama of Teda, Neshmasa Daraisa, that's Primisa Teda. The why, what it accomplishes, how it 
infects, affects us, impacts us. And it's like the, the kavana behind the goof. The body and the mechanics of Teda is like the body of Teda. This is the soul of Teda, the vitality. Now, of course, you can learn Nigla and do Allah and do it with a passion. But when you learn Ava Vayira and the fundamental mitzvahs, the six big mitzvahs that one, one is supposed to perform all the time. So, yes, you could, Allah has tell you what to do, but to learn in a way to understand and relate to godliness and to relate to what the divine, what God wants of us in a personal way, like a partnership with God, in understanding how our soul works and how our soul is part of the process, not just mechanical activity, not just mitzvah sanoshim ulamada, which is like by rote, that's where primis atera adds that whole chayis. And we know when a person does something with a passion and with a vitality, they do it far differently, quantitatively and qualitatively, than when they don't have that, God forbid. So primis atera adds that dimension. It also has a dimension of relevance, personal relevance. You could do a mitzvah, Kabbalah sale, and no, this is the mitzvah you have to do. And do it faithfully, perfectly. But when you know that it's relevant to you, using the Pasuk and Chumash, Nitzavim, that the, Ram, Rash, that the Alta Rebbe states right on the Sharblat, on the cover page of Tanya, what does he say? He says that this book, Sefer came, this book came to explain how, Eichu Karav Me'ed, how the Tehidah Mitzvah is relevant to us. In our speaking, in our hearts, and in our actions. And that's the whole Tanya. And the Tanya, we know, is the Tehidah Shebik Sav of Chesidus, the written Tehidah of Chesidus, and the rest of Chesidus is like the Tehidah Shebal Peh of Tanya. So all of Chesidus is coming to teach the relevance. So someone will say to you, Shabbos, beautiful mitzvah, what is its relevance to my life? See, Chassidus will explain, as Shabbos, the worlds get elevated, you get elevated. There are spiritual doors that open up, opportunities. That's why we try to, we avoid as much as possible material activity, the 39 malachas, in order to be in that spiritual state. The same thing with what's, what is the Yom Tevim, what is Pesach, Yitzis Mitzrayim, not just we remember that the Jews left Egypt, but you also are experiencing it right now. Bechol der Vader, a person has to in every generation and every day, a person has to visualize and envision that they are leaving what? Mitzarim Ugvulim. The inhibitions, the limits, the constraints, anything that keeps us trapped. So it all adds a dimension that's more than just commemorating and not just a, a technical mitzvah, but also one that's filled with personal, personal relevance, psychological, emotional, practical, and spiritual relevance to our lives. And frankly, this is the theme that I speak about week after week after week in all the different dimensions, addressing the different questions and applying it to our lives. So, so is the wellspring, you can say. It's the reservoir, the engine room where it all begins. On this, this Tuesday, the 220th anniversary of when the al was released from prison. So we honor, we celebrate it, we thank for it, we thank God for the opening up those, those wellsprings in ways that we can relate to it, in ways that, with examples that relate to our personal lives. Not just an esoteric teaching, which is difficult to relate to because of its abstract nature. But here you can find examples, from our flesh and behold God, which is this permeating our personal lives and showing how our personal lives are really a channel, a moshal, an example, a channel to channel the divine within every fiber of our existence. So Yutas Kislev, of course, carries tremendous 
potency for each one of us, and particularly in a program like this, which is focused completely on doing that, on demonstrating the relevance of Teda, relevance of Chassidus to our personal lives and applying it in every aspect of life as I do, best of my ability, week after week after week. So we honor this day, and of course, on a day like this, we are, there are so many different directives which can't go through all of them, but essentially it's a day of learning chassidus, and saying, L'shon the learning and behaving in that way. And the Alter Rebbe was asked, what is a chassid? And he said, a chassid is, uh, overlooks his own good to, for the benefit of another, and they asked, what's the proof? And he brought the Gemara. That it says when you cut your nails, so a rasha just throws them out. A tzaddik, a tzaddik buries them because it could be a sarkana for someone who's in a sensitive situation, so he buries them. And a tzachasit serfon, he burns them. See, burning your own nails has a shtikl sarkana because it's part of who you are, part of your body. It was once part of your body. So that's why the tzaddik buries them. But when you bury, they still can be a dug up. Serfon means he's ready to compromise himself potentially that no one else should be affected. That was the Alter Rebbe's Rayyad. So chassidus is not just the learning of it and understanding and even the addition of the vitality, but the acting in a way that's beyond the letter of the law, not because you're forced to, because you want to. Because you feel that deep love. When you love someone, you don't just do the minimum, you do the maximum. <clears throat> and a chassid goes all the way in that sense. And you see it translated today in the generation of the Rebbe, how he took that idea and applied it into chassidus, into shlichus, I should say, that people going out in the farthest outskirts all over the world, out of their own comfort zone, in order to help others. So Yudas Kislev is a day to recommit to the, both the study and the passion and the, and the joy that comes from chassidus and the internalization of God's will in our lives, and also the actions of how we treat others and how we behave with a deeper sensitivity and a higher level of refinement. I saw just recently, I mean, there's many things, but just as for Vusa de Milsa, I was, I was looking at Kuntur Samayan the other day, <clears throat> and he says that when you learn Nigla de Teri, you connect to the Chachm of the Ebishter. He looks at this, he says, it makes the Gantz and Mensch Eidelet. You become an Eidelet person, a more refined person. Why? Because you're learning about something that's not about you. You're learning about something. He says, even though Chassidus talks about matters that are not tangible, and we only have Yediyas HaMitziyas, we only know about it, that it exists. We don't know it's Muhus. Things in Gashmias in this world, you can know more because you can observe it and relate to it and so on. These things, we only know about them in a, in a way only that it exists without knowing its real personality. And yet, because precisely because it's not our comfort zone, it makes you a more refined person because it takes you out of yourself and you absorb a higher presence, a divine presence in your life. In Kuntas Eitzachayim, the Rebbe Rashab elaborates on what Chassidus has accomplished in the context of the Yeshiva Temchit Mimim, in addition to what Teda Nigla the Teda accomplishes. And there's many, many Sikhs, my modern, that talk about this at length. Okay. I usually have cross-referencing, but for some reason my cross-referencing didn't appear, so I apologize. But uh, we will manage. Good. Now, since it's also Pasha Vayeshev, I'll just say one word in Vayeshev. Vayeshev Yaakov. This is Yaakov returning to Eretz Yisrael. After Vayetze, he left Be'er Sheva, 
to go build a family, and he accomplished that. As God promised him, and he built his family. He's coming now back after the confrontation with Esau, which, thank God, worked out, and he's able to come back peacefully to Vayeshev Yankiv, the land of his parents, and he settles. Of course, as soon as he settles, Nutzara starts. Because Yaakov Leishev Beshalva, Yaakov wanted to sit in peace. Kovtzalov Rugza Shal Yasef. What consumed him, what Kovtzalov means, it jumped on him. Like now, he had another Tzara. So after all the challenges he had, Yasef is taken away from him as this Pasha continues. So there are many hints and connections to Yutas Kislev. First of all, the Etzaminian, the Alta Rebbe, was, went to the Sid Beshalva peacefully and teach Chsidis. And he was building a community and was building a, a, a force that would transform Judaism in every dimension. And you know, have to have a rugze, a certain challenge, the challenge only to bring out something even deeper. As the Rebbe Rashab says, that even though it's difficult to say, you could say that Petterburg, again, the imprisonment of the Alter Rebbe, was like an olive that produces oil when you press it. So even though Yosef sell, selling into slavery was ostensibly a negative, and in many ways was for 22 years torn away from his father. But at the end of the day, that's what led the Eden to Mitzrayim. And though there was Golos Mitzrayim, it would, Golos Mitzrayim would build them into a powerful nation, and they would then receive the Teda. And all through this Yerida, it starts for Yesuf, who did Mitzrayim, and Yesuf going down to Mitzrayim starts the descent. But the descent is only in order to bring a greater ascent. It's exactly the story of Yutas Kislev in Primius Ater. There, Matan Teda was primarily the Nigla of the Teda. Even though by Matan Teda, all Kola Teda, Hontar Teda was given. But the Al-Tarebi, you have the same story. So the negative only leading to something deeper by squeezing the oil, the pressing the olive and producing even more powerful oil, the chassidus that came out from the Al-Tareb. Especially after it came out of prison in Tovkuf Nuntes. There are many other hints, but I decided I'll just share that one. And we'll continue on now to, since we're focusing on chassidus, and chassidus as a instrument to bring the Geula Mashiach, I decided, you know, I'll focus on a bunch of Mashiach-related questions that came in over the months and collected many of them together and addressed them one by one in this context. Remember, is what the Baal Shem Tov heard from the Mashiach, Mashiach himself, is the way Geula will come. The Al-Tareb is a Shoshana of Chassidus, there's a Shoshana of Yifutzimah the primary So all of Chassidus' revelation that begins on this Rosh Hashanah with al and all the subsequent generations, all is what? Is coming to bring the Gula. What does that mean? It's not a Zgula. It's not like, okay, the Mashiach says, you do one thing, I'll reward you and I'll come. No, because when we learn Chassidus and we live by Chassidus, that's living Mashiachdik. That's learning Mashiachdik. That's a Mashiach mindset as opposed to a Golis mindset. It's a Mashiach way of living. That what? That you're living as the Alta Rebbe says in chapter 37 in Tanya. What is Yimesa Mashiach? It's Gilead Lekuz Be'elem Azagashmi. Revealing godliness in this world. When you learn Halacha, it's also godliness. But not necessarily you see the full revelation. You're following God's guidelines and saying, this is what you shall do, this is what you shouldn't do. Eat kosher, do not eat other types of foods. What Chassidus comes is actually reveals the Lekuz in it you see the divine power that it brings into the universe. And when that's revealed, Siba Mesu, cause and effect. That's why Masein of Avid, the Sein of the Alter Rebbe says, our actions, our behavior, is directly, totally, that is dependent, the Gu'ula. 
So Mashiach's statement is a cause and effect. So all of Chassidus is coming to bring the Gula Mashiach. It's not a, a side thing, it's not a peripheral thing, it's direct. And it's actually one is a revelation of the other. So in a way you can say, every time you do a mitzvah, and you do it with a primis, not just by rote, you're building a building block. I will say even if you do a mitzvah without the primis, you're doing the building block. But how much more so when you do it with that passion and excitement and relevance, then what you're doing is you're permeating your life with a higher divine perspective. That is a taste of Mashiach. The more you do it, the more the building blocks are built. And then they accumulate, and we have the Mashiach Kloli, the, the Messianic age, as described in Chassidus and the Rambam and, and all the different Svarim, based on the Pesukim in Yeshaya Mole, as the Rambam says, the Svarim Nanach are filled with references and direct description of what that world will be like. So the first question someone's asking, what can we do to help speed up Mashiach's coming? This is something we've talked about many, many times. And I really am sorry, I don't have the cross what happened here exactly. Okay, so be it. We talked about it many, many times, and frankly, it's easy to find if you go, let me use this as an opportunity to make the announcement that you can find all cross-references to previous episodes, all their archives, in at MeaningfulLife.com slash my life. All you got to do is search if you want a topic, and you'll find it by that. And I mentioned it because some people have asked me again and again. It's all timestamp, but you have to go to the YouTube video, the original YouTube video, which is linked to on our site. You go to the YouTube and you'll see how it's timestamped, meaning you can go straight to the section that this topic is being, that is addressing this topic. You don't have to go through the entire thing. So if you type in Mashiach, you'll find all the references in previous episodes. So what can we do to bring? So first of all, let me just answer, as I just said, what you can do to bring Mashiach is to do as much as you can, even more than you have in the learning of Chassidus and the actions behaving accordingly. In the words of the Rebbe, that we are standing at the threshold and we have to learn which puts your consciousness in a place that you don't think with a Golos mentality but you think in a Guladika mentality and then you have to act on it. That means you have to look around and see wherever you can see envision what would the world look like when Shiach comes? What would your life look like? And that's like putting the Aleph of Gula into the Gela. It's not talking about type of ups- turning the world upside down and type of some type of uh, suspension of nature, necessarily. Not necessarily. It's talking about looking at the world and the life we have, but how do you bring the divine into it? In a very deliberate and direct way. So that's a specific way to do it, as I just mentioned. But in this, one of the letters I received, one of them that came in, I want to read, because they gave some a person, was following up a discussion I had on a previous episode, so, so one person writes, Hi, Rabbi Jacobson. I want to share with you today some ideas I thought of in connection with 28th of Nissan. Chavches Nissan, of course, in the year Tavsh Nunalov. That would be almost 20, 20 uh, Nunalov. Now is I in test. 28 years ago. Will be a little less than 28 years ago. Where the Rebbe spoke, very a passionate talk, that I did whatever I can, now do what you can. Screaming out Mosai, getting out of the Golos Primi, getting together and strategizing what to do, how to do. 
So the person is writing, in connection with 20 years, and I want to share with you some ideas I thought of on how to bring Mashiach. It's not global or revolutionary ideas, rather it's more on a personal level. Right. Idea number one, Avis Yisrael. I think we need to increase in Avis Yisrael at a practical level. We need to firstly be kind to our immediate family and be friendly and say hello to our neighbors, to those that stand next to us in shul and to those that sit next to us at a fabringen, etc. This may sound simple and very elementary level of Avis Yisrael, but these days it's not simple at all. I can sympathize with a person that wrote to you a letter recently about people not saying hello in the neighborhood. Yes, I read that back then. So let me just comment before I go to the next idea. Havis Yisrael, the Rebbe himself, makes this a major force bringing the Gula and writes in letters that if we had Havis Yisrael, there'd be less machlekas. We already had the Gula a long time ago. And again, it's not a Zgula. A Zgula means it's not some just disconnected reward that we get. We do one thing, you get something else. No. The reason for the destruction of the temple was sinas chinam, baseless hatred. So when you eliminate that and you replace it with baseless love, you're directly countering the forces that brought the destruction, which was divisiveness. So unity is the tikkun, is the repair for divisiveness, is the antidote. So of course I second what you're saying. Number two, idea number two, praying for Mashiach. I think everyone should say at least one chapter of Tilim every day, dedicated specifically to asking Hashem to take us out of Golis and send us Mashiach. Just like we ask for our personal needs, we need to plead for Mashiach as well. And this is directly connected with the Sikha of Chav Nissen, where the Rebbe said if we cried out Ad Mosai, earnestly Mashiach would have already come. Ad Mosai means until when do we have to wait? Idea number three, studying Tehillim. Speaking of saying Tehillim, it comes to mind a sikh I recently came across. It may be Baalez Chetov Shemem unedited. The Rebbe says there that like no one studied Rambam before the Takana, the same way no one learns Tehillim, I'll just add. I think in general in the Torah world, only Gemara is considered learning Torah. However, in reality, Tanakh, Mishnayis, Seder Kachim, and Taris, Medrash etc. is obviously all part of Torah, which I think is unfortunately underlearned. Idea number four. Learning in Yoni Gula Mashiach, a very practical way to implement this directive would be to study something daily from the Sefer Megele Legula. There's a Sefer that both in Hebrew and English, which has short vignettes from the Rebbe, which would take about five minutes to learn. I try to learn it daily. Another very interesting Sefer, which I think is not so popular, is Netzach Yisrael from the Maral of Prague. The whole Sefer is on the theme of Mashiach. Idea number five, Tzedakah. I believe that in the Sikh of Sazim it says the Tafshinun Aleph, five seven five one. The Rebbe said to give Zdaka with a specific intention to bring Mashiach. I'll add a suggestion. I think everyone should give at least five cents daily with this intention. Idea number six. I think we need to bring back more Hasidic Fabrengans in our communities. I think it could be arranged in different languages according to the needs of the community and for all Anash and Tamim, not just for special interest groups. Idea number seven. I'll conclude with something I recently heard from Rab Shalom Mordechai Sheyichi Rabashkin. Just like we need to have betachin for our personal needs, betachin is trust in God, we need to have betachin that Hashem will send us Mashiach very soon. I'll just add, if someone tells us Mashiach is coming tomorrow morning, our reaction will usually be to believe, unfortunately, that there is 99% chance he won't come, and 1% chance he will come. When in reality, according to what the Rebbe taught us, we should believe the opposite. I just want to say, 
One more thing. I've heard some people saying that the Rebbe said Mashiach is coming very soon. And in reality, it's over 27 years from Chavches Nisan. And Mashiach still doesn't, hasn't come. Does that mean very soon? In my opinion, the answer to this question is that is a good question. And when Mashiach come, will come, he will answer the question. But from our part of Chassidim, we have to strengthen our amun and betachin, our faith and trust. In the Rebbe's words, that Mashiach is coming very soon, kipshutai, literally. Like it says in the Pasuk, Vayaminu ba'ashem avde. They trust, they believed in God, and Moses, Moses is served. P.S. I hope you can share this with your audience. My last couple of letters took you three, four months to read. This, I think, is even longer, frankly. It seems that you don't like long letters, so why am I writing you this letter? The answer is because I was zeichet to be by the sikh of Chav Nissen, And to put it the way I heard it from you many years ago, way before you started this program, the Rebbe didn't allow us to be complacent. So I hope you can read this one quicker. Thanks. Haslacha Rabbe, Mashiach now. Okay, so I didn't remain a Balchev, I ultimately read it. Now, I want to just say this for the, for the audience. I specifically read it word for word because obviously we have the Rebbe's directives. So what's the point of adding one's own? Because I'm very impressed and I'm flattered that I can have the honor to share it. Very impressed and very inspired actually because this is what each one of us should be doing. Applying our minds to figure out how. Yes, there's the directives that Rebbe gave us directly, but that itself can be added to, not added, God forbid, replaced, but added like, stuck it. What does stuck mean practically? Once a day, five times a day. The Rebbe always gave directives and wanted us to then find ways to apply it to our personal lives and to those around us. Different circumstances require different emphasis. So I'm, I really encourage anyone out there, if you send me your suggestions, I will make it public and publicize it so everyone can hear and everyone has to choose and decide. There's not, this not a directive. Directives come from the Rebbe. Directives come from Teda directly. But they're definitely excellent suggestions and very much consistent with the Rebbe's direct, directives to us. So that's exactly why I decided to read it. Why it took time, everything in its time. And I'm not going to give excuses. There's just a lot of questions that come in. And it's very hard to determine what's a priority. Obviously, Mashiach is a priority. But frankly, everything we talk about ultimately is about becoming better people and bringing the Gula and Mashiach. So thank you for that. And I hope you don't give up on me and feel free to continue to write. Next question in this vein. Avedis Abedurim. Again, something I've talked about a number of times. What did the Rebbe mean when he said that Avedis Abedurim has concluded? How can the Rebbe say if we have finished Avedis Abedurim, then how can we justify involvement with material things? Also, we finished that work. What is that work now? And how do we relate to all those by modern? Many of the Rebbe himself would speak about the importance of Birurim. So I'll just give you briefly, though I believe I've talked about this at length. The, everybody's open to give their discussion explanation, but the Rebbe did say it, and didn't just say it as a blessing, but said it as a matter of fact, as a mitzvah. What is Birurim? Let's make clear what Birurim is before we continue to discuss when it's finished first. We have to know what it is. So Birurim literally means separations or clarity, if you wish. Birur, clarity. In halacha, it's separating the, the shaft from the, the dross, from the, the main fruit or the main wheat. It's Birur. That's why Birur on Shabbos, you're not allowed to separate something from another thing. Because separation. But generally, separation is a good thing. Not as a malach on Shabbos, obviously. It's a good thing because it's clarity. When something's snowballed and, and, not, and confusing, it's not clear. So it's bitter, it's clarity. 
But Birut also comes with another word. Tikkun or Zichuch. To repair, to refine. So what are we referring to? So in the words of Kabbalah, on the Pasuk, the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. So the word Merachefes is very interesting. Says that Izal, the Merachefes is the letters Rapach Mes. Merachefes, a different order, Rapach Mes. The 288 sparks that died. What do I mean by died? Shvira Sakeon, the shattering of the containers, shattered. Think of the script or the narrative of existence is all very clear, but then someone takes the narrative, the blueprint, and tears it up into pieces and scatters it all over the world. That's what happened. And that's why we don't have clarity. What is right to do, what is wrong. Good things are mixed with negative things. So our world is is to clarify and find these broken shards, these broken pieces, and put the pieces together again and see the purpose for which it was created. The food you eat, the work you do, whatever it is you're involved in can, can become devoid, God forbid, klipas nega, or worse, shalsh klipas atmeas, busy pursuing its own interests, not understanding it's really part of a bigger plan. So the bitter hanetsutsis is essentially the 288 sparks that we refine throughout all the years from the time that when that shattering took place. In Mitzrayim, it says, Erev Rav Mohem, the Erev Rav, Erev is what? The Erev Rav is Reish Beis. So Reish Beis, that is, I'll say, as Kabbalah explains, is 202 of the 288 sparks they elevated in Mitzrayim. And only 86 left. Al-Tareb explains in the in Tereir and Vayeshev, actually, this week's Pasha, that in 210 years in Golis Mitzrayim, they refined 202 sparks and elevated them in the right way. And the rest of thousands of years ago, it's only 86. So he explains why. The Shlomis Klolias, they had more power. They, they covered and they were able to... And, or the 86 sparks that we have are harder sparks to refine. And we have less manpower to refine, meaning we have less spiritual strength to do so. But when we finish those 86, that's called this time of There will be a point where it's finished. And the Rebbe told us that point arrived. Because if it was the Shir... It's not an endless journey. It's 288 sparks, which of course, as the Alter Rebbe explains, breaks down into much more than 288. That's 288 general sparks. Here's not the place to go into all the details of this. And I believe I did discuss this at length. But suffice it to say, that when you say finished, it means that the main work of that clarity and refinement has taken place. So then the question is, you're asking a question, we still in the material world. Because we need to recognize that. You know that story, the famous story, it's not a joke, that 15 years after World War II, they found a Japanese soldier in some Pacific island in 1962, and he had this rusty rifle, and he was still thought the, the war was on. The mentality, when we live for thousands of years in a Gaulist mentality, we still think we're fighting a battle. Now there is a technically a battle with Yeh Sahara, but the Rebbe is saying the forces of evil have been, have been weaned away from them. They don't necessarily have that power anymore. Their psychological power still is exerted on us. So someone will tell you the gula, but you're not in the mood, or you're not in the mentality, the mindset. Like many people say, time to party. You say, I'm not in the mind, mood for it. That means the party is ready, but you're not in the mood. And as the Rebbe explains in a famous letter, when he explains, he says, there's a tkufa where there's the battle between good and evil. And then the battle ends, there's still... Evil in the world. There's still materialism 
and selfishness in the world. But it doesn't have a power, a sheer power of evil, like an Amalek power, a Amalek of Sitra Akhre, of the negative. So we have to recognize that it's coming to the end of their power, and now we have to not allow them to have psychological power over us and see things through the Rebbe's eyes. That means opening your eyes and living a Guladika way, and then the, the, that psychological hold that has enough on us will dissipate. That's one explanation that I suggest. All, by all means, you can give other explanations, but it's consistent. So we have work to be done because we need to open our eyes. We need to become aware. So bitter, the actual bitter can be finished, meaning the actual work of the separation. But we now need to recognize that, 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 that we've finished it. And we have to live by that and recognize that it's not more the battle, it's basically only the absence of good. That the enemy right now is not a force, but it's only the absence of awareness, the absence of good. The absence of ignorance is very different than a person who's someone who's a force, a counter, an enemy, an adversary, um, an adversary that is directly challenging you. So more to say on the topic, but let's suffice with that. Next question. Will we, will we be able to converse with God after Mashiach comes? Will there be a time during the Messianic era where God will reveal himself to us in our physical world and we can sit down with him one-on-one and have a conversation and ask questions? So first of all, you can do that even now. This is what's called prayer. Tefillah. You're speaking to God. The fact that you don't see him, the fact that, uh, that you don't touch him, doesn't mean he doesn't see you. Doesn't mean you're not speaking to him. So real Aved is that. Even when learning, when you learn Teda, God responds. But the response is not like another human response, it's the way God responds. And if you're sensitive enough, hopefully you'll feel something. Now when Mashiach comes, the Alter Rebbe says, brings right away in Perek Lamed Vav from the Psukim, there will no longer be a shield, a kanaf, a, 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 a cloth, or a garment, a shirt or garment that will, that will block your merecha, your teacher. Which means, in our time, there are the veils and the curtains and the tzimtzum and concealments that we don't allow us to see God. But then we'll see the merecha, we'll see our teacher. Ayin ba'ayin yiron, the Alter Rebbe brings a few more psukim. V'niglik v'ed Hashem v'ro'ol kolbasa yardo. We will see kolbasa, the Rebbe emphasized, not just ene basa, not just the eyes of flesh. Flesh itself will perceive godliness. But you have to remember that it doesn't necessarily mean the way you think it means. The perception will be exactly as you perceive things now with your eyes. So yes, it'll be a lot easier to have a conversation with God. I don't know if we'll sit down with you and just to have a uh, shoot the breeze type of thing, quote unquote. But whatever we're able to do now, we'll be able to do in a far more intense and powerful way then. Okay. Next question. These are all Geula related questions. And I'll do one more, and then we will go to another question. Okay. Just checking things out here. Yeah. Good. Again, this is all consistent with it being a Yutas Kislev week and a Yutas Kislev focus on Geula and so on. So. This person writes, well, this question, first let's sum it up. After Mashiach comes, how will we understand all the Torah verses and references that address a pre-Mashiach Golis world? 
So here's the specific way the person writes the question. I was teaching Tanya Perik 27, a really fascinating chapter, and while learning it, I was bothered by a question. The Al-Tareb's main message to the Bainini is, you were not created to be a tzaddik, accept, accept the life God designed for you and embrace the challenge joyfully. A tzaddik does not have a battle. His Yeshahara has been destroyed. But a Bainini does have the battle, accept it, because that's what God designed for you, and embrace it. My question is, how are we to learn this Pedic post Tavshin Nunal of 1991? Amongst the many revolutionary statements and revelations we received that year from the Rebbe, the Rebbe said, on Shabbos Pashas Emer, Sefer HaSichus, volume 2, page 532, 532, section 9, Sifna Tess, the Aved is quoting, the Aved is not only surmerah, to go, stay away and from evil, refraining from any wrongdoings, thus fulfilling his promise, I will not be a Russia, but also to be a tzaddik, to heed tzaddik. For although Tanya states that not everyone merits and has the choice to be a tzaddik, but through the godly power of atzmus that is in the body of a Jew, and, we may, and we, may, we may say that after the refinement that the Jewish nation has been through, presently every Jew can obtain the highest levels up until even being a tzaddik. In the most revealed way, the way it will be when Mashiach comes. Direct quote. Now truth to be said, from my understanding of the message of the Perik, the chapter in Tanya, the above-mentioned statement of the Rebbe does not change the message. Depression is still not an excuse, for the Alter Rebbe clearly said that maybe you'll create to fight this battle your whole life. Stress on the maybe. Because if you are meant to be a Tzadik, then you will, as long as you do not do your job, and you work your way up. Because if you are meant to be a Tzadik, then you will, as long as you do your job and you work your way up. However, I do feel that the statement of the Rebbe, amongst many others, give me and others I encounter, I wouldn't call depression, but somewhat of a dot, dot, dot. Where are we? Where's the Mashiach world the Rebbe is talking about? Where are we holding in all the areas that the Rebbe demands of us? I can go on, but I hope my general point is understood. Please advise. Thank you. P.S. Another thing that causes me feeling not sure what to call it is that the impression I got from many mashpim, and I've listened to many different shiurim and tanya, is that 1991 changed nothing in the way they teach this Perik topic. I don't blame them because they were never taught this by their mashpim and not necessarily do they really understand the Rebbe's message. It's hard, but it was said to us, for us. It was edited by the Rebbe for publication in the Algemin and geared to all its readers worldwide and world over. We must break our heads and figure it out. If you have a way to explain this, please do. And if you don't, please look into it. For as stated, we need to figure out the Rebbe's final message to us in the last moments of Gaulus. Thank you. Thanks again. Is Gaulus now. Okay, very good question. And the truth is, it's a broader question, because if you really think about it, it's not just the Tanya. And what about all the Psukim and Chumash? All the Psukim and Chumash that talk to us about things about our Yetzirah and about a situation that's a Golazdika situation. And when Mashiach comes, what will happen to all those Psukim? And how do we read them? So the question is a broader one. But I'll start with the Tanya and then I'll broaden it out and make a few key points. Point number one, the Tanya will be Nitzchi even in the time of Mashiach. It's not going to be put aside because it's no longer Benin. Because firstly, relatively speaking, all of us have all three levels within us. Vayetze Tov Shinun, the Rebbe said, that the mere fact that the Rebbe speaks about Tzadik Benin Russia means we have all three within us. The Nefesh Aliki is by itself, is a Tzadik essentially. It's only because there's also Nefesh Abamis. That's like a Russia. Russia Vitevle. And then as they're coming together, 
is why we have the challenges. So when Mashiach comes, and the Yetzirah at some point will be, they'll shech the Yetzirah. But even before that stage, there's no question that all of us will elevate to a higher level, and Sadiqim will be even higher than that. Because Yelchim Echayel Echayel, we always can climb higher and higher, and relative to our lower level. So the concept of Baini will still exist, even after there's no more war with the Yetzirah. What will then be the meaning of the battle of the Yetzirah? As I said, that same question applies to every time the Yetzirah is mentioned, in one way or another, in Teir. And I'm going to address that in a few minutes. So that's number one that we have to remember. Number two, when the Rebbe said we're on the verge or on the threshold of Geula, and we now have the power not just Al-Tahir Rasha, but also to be a Tzaddik, because after everything we've gone through, the refinement, as I just elaborated, the Birur, yes, there's no question that accumulatively, we, not because necessarily we did the greatest Aved, but we have all the Schar and all the, I would say, more than reward. We have all the cumulative power that all the previous generations and their Mesidus Nefesh accomplished, so we are fundamentally in a far more refined state collectively. We still have to do our part and fight our battles, but we are midgets standing on the shoulders of giants. So the Rebbe is saying, therefore we have that, that power that comes to us from all the people who did Aveda and all the work and efforts they make, that we have that situation that the refinement is there. And when the refinement, which is basically the situation of the Gula. So when you learn Tanya Taki, you have to acknowledge and add the Rebbe's addition that this battles that we're talking about, we are now at another stage in that. But the Rebbe's words are Nitzchi, whether whatever you read it. And as I said, it's relative, even in a state where that refinement is there, there's still an element, there's a Baini within us because we all could be even more be- better. Even by a tzaddik we say Chet Melosh A sin is like not as good as it could be. So you could explain the Al-Tareb as a Baini that you literally have a battle between the Yetzatev Yetzat, or the battle can be between good and better. And you're not yet on that highest level. That's how I would explain it. Now regarding the entire picture, how do we look at things in the Tera? So for example, the classic question, I spoke about this in episode 196. The Tera asks a question. A very basic question. The Tera talks about death. In the beginning of Bereshit, it says, death will only come as a result of them eating from the tree of knowledge, since a paim shana tayda elam. So basically, the tayda talking about death essentially compelled them to eat from the tree. They never had free will. They would have to eat because it says about death. The Zayar's answer is a bit cryptic. So there's a maimer from this in the Rebbe Barashab in Ateris, which we're 100 years from, from uh, 100 years ago. Shabbos Pasha Chukas. In and he brings three answers. The gist of it is that there's another way of t- that you could touch Misa. Misa doesn't necessarily mean the, da- the painful death. Misa can be a transition to another level. And that was the free will that they had. Had they not eaten from the tree of knowledge, it would have been Misa. It would have been, look, we have to shed one layer of skin to, re- to assume another layer, layer, layer of skin, a form of bitl. Mandanofel medarge ikremes. Someone that falls on the level is not as high as he could be. That's called Misa. Or, God forbid, that they actually sinned, then, what, then the Misa is the way we understand it, a true, trans, a true severing of body and soul for the period of time. Even Chet Eitz itself would be interpreted in a more spiritual way if 
you're talking the Ruchni's Dikwein. That will also be Nitzchi. It's not like we're going to just learn the parts of Tera that are no longer talking about the negative. Those negatives can be seen as a negative in a real way, like they manifested, or they can be seen as a negative in the sense of not a negative thing, but a energy that is not complete and something that can be approved on a part. Just like Yitzhak Mitzrayim, Mitzrayim can be seen as an actual country that enslaved the Jewish people, or Mitzrayim can be seen as the archetype of all forms of oppression and inhibition and psychological and emotional blocks and so on. So it all comes down to that you can interpret every part of Teda in a different way, and when La'asid love, we'll talk and interpret it all in the Ruchaniz way, like Alter Rebbe explains in Simen Chavov in Ageres HaKedosh, that it will be then the Yachid Yechudim El So everything we learn today about Nezikin and Teverra and all that the Gemara talks about will then be understood in context of the higher spiritual levels that either are in, 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 in uh, I say conflict with each other, but have their different forces and how they interact with each other. So everything in Teda can be explained on that higher level. Much more can be said on this, but let's stop with that. And now, yeah, as far as the Mashpim and everyone, how we learn it, yes, it would be very good to be able to infuse everything we learn in with an additional component that the Rebbe said, that all that we've learned, we are now at the threshold. And the Veda, we still have to know all those teachings, but we can understand them much more in a compelling way that everything the Baal Shem Tov heard from Mashiach, everything taught us by the Baal Shem Tov, the Magid, the Alta Rebbe, the Mitla Rebbe, the Tzemach Tzedek, Rebbe Marash, Rebbe Rashab, the Friedrich Rebbe, are now coming to realization. And it's up to us, to the Makkah Patish, to do that final push. Yes, so even when we learn Tanya and all that, it should definitely be learned through Geula Dika eyes as much as possible that we can achieve. Okay. Next question. Why don't revealed miracles happen today as they did in earlier generations? Thousands of years ago. If you want to say open miracles don't happen today so that we can have free choice, etc., then why didn't those who saw the splitting of the Red Sea need free choice? So the question is asked directly in a mimer from the Alter Rebbe called Ma Yofa Pamaich, Tovkuf Samach Gimel, printed in Derech Mitzvah Secha on the Hesophis, page 176a, and also printed some variations and additions in Eratera Shira Shirim on that Pasuk, volume 2, page 9, I'm sorry, 593. What he briefly says is the following, and I'll just read what he says. I'll translate. He explains that the Elikus, the divinity, which of course manifests in a miracle, and frankly in everything that exists, can come to us directly, or filtered through veils, through concealments, through garments, and so on. And all the garments used in, in, uh, in, the, different, uh, in the different psukim and verses refer, like when you say anal is a shoe, a shoe is made out of leather. It's much thicker than, for example, a shirt that may be made out of wool or cotton or silk or linen. So these garments reflect different levels of veils. With the thicker ones, like a shoe, because you're walking on the ground and the ground is much has sharp objects and could be more destructive, so you need to have a thicker garment to protect your foot. Mayofa pamayich benalayim. The shoe. Whereas a shirt or other garments that are on the higher parts of the bodies are far more transparent and far lighter and conceal less. So he says the following. Understanding that will explain, he says, 
This is the reason that the earlier generations was they were found, they were, they were, uh, were, were miracles. And now, now we don't see miracles. And it's not that common that there should be a real miracle, that you, an open a miracle that you see that completely suspends, that suspends nature. Now miracles are much more concealed in, the na- in natural causes. Okay. So he says, why? Because in the summits of the earlier generations, their garments were dakim biyesef. They were very subtle. Like levushat tzemer or pishton, garments of tzemer, of wool, of, of uh, pishton, on the body, on the um, silk. Why? Because these neshamas came from higher worlds, primus worlds, and they were just more refined souls, and therefore they reflect more the upper part of the body where the garments are subtler garments. That's why they lived in a time where from time to time it was appropriate that a gili would come without, these, without veils and they would see these open miracles through these refined or subtle garments. Amnam, achshav, however, now in the ikvas in the Mashiach, ikvas Mashiach means the heel of Mashiach, ikvas, heel, like the foot, and the foot itself, the bottom of the foot. That's the shamas that come from akfayim. They don't come from the higher parts of the body. They come from the akfayim, from the heels of the Shekhinah. So their garments are gasimaid, are very thick. Like the leather of a shoe. And that covers up completely the shoe to protect it. That's why the Eidah Laki, the divine Eidah, is much more concealed, is very concealed in the laws of nature, in the natural flow. So if there's miracles, it'll be far more concealed from our view. And that's why it's not that common to see a Gilead and a Nesnifla. That's what he says. Interestingly, in the Maimer and Sher Shirim that I mentioned, he actually brings, he says the same, the same gist of it, a little different words, but he says, looking in Gemara and Brachis, chapter 3, the page Chof Amid Aleph. So the question is asked, why there were miracles in earlier generations? And there's talking compared to the Zman Ashas, compared to the generation of Moshe Rabbeinu and the Zman the and the earlier generations. So there the answer is because they were Moshe Nefesh and Kiddush Hashem and we're not Moshe Nefesh. So the Tzemach Tzedek says, he reconciles it with this explanation because that means the Neshamas were higher than the Neshamas of Regal, of the leg, that's why they had more bitlam mesiris nefesh. So he reconciles the Gemara with this. Okay. So that deals with that. Let us now go to, I have a few follow-ups, then there's a question of Chassidus, and then there's the essays. So let's do a few follow-ups. One is about Shidduchim. We were talking how much to reveal about a family and a family member. So in the previous two episodes, I discussed, firstly, how much... You as going, if you're going on a match, what should you be saying? At what stage do you have to say before you start dating? Middle, and so on. Last week we discussed, and what do you have to say about the parents or the family members of a shidduch? Do you have to speak about that as well? We discussed that, and here is a third part to that. And the question is: You discuss what the person dating and that person's family should or should not be revealing before the date. How about a third party being consulted? What obligations do they have in divulging compromising details about a potential shidduch? So we're not talking about the person going on the shidduch or their family. But someone calls you up 
and says, I, I, this is this name, they say they gave you as a reference, or you know them, or you're, fam- or you're a family member, or you know them as a friend, what obligation do you have to share? What should you say, what should you not say? So it's a very good question, very much consistent to this discussion. And I would say the general principles are the same, except with a major caveat. When it comes to the person themselves that's dating, and they have an issue that should be shared, so we discussed when you should share it. But if you're not that person, then why are you, who's giving you the obligation, and why do you feel the responsibility that you have to share something? The person who's going on the date is the one that's going to share it, and should share it. That could be the argument. On the other hand, which means that if you know of a stumbling block, that someone's asking you about a certain person, and it could be affect their lives, you have an obligation to not lead, mislead them. That itself, there's different shalachas. There's one thing of telling them something false. Another is not telling them something that's real. So this, I would, again, put into the category that you cannot have a black and white response to that. It depends what we're talking about. If you know about the person something that is really terrible, really terrible, so maybe there's ways to say that you don't have to say it literally, but you could hint enough the person knows that they better look deeper into this. Or may even be necessary to actually state it. And I think case by case, because we have to know what are we talking about. If you're saying you were in yeshiva with the person, and from time to time that person was a little depressed, is that something you have to share? Maybe not. Who says it's going to affect their life? Who says it's a serious thing? Who says the person still has that? Whereas if you know something else about the person that can be extremely compromising, and you know it's going to affect their future, so there's ways you could either say it directly or indirectly, but I would always check with a rov or with a, a mashpia to know whether you're just overreacting. Maybe you should say nothing. Maybe you should just hint and say enough that the person knows they should look into it some more. Or maybe you should say overtly, directly, exactly what it is. And I cannot give an answer without knowing what we're dealing with here. But it's a little different than when you're talking to the person himself, the parties in the Shaduchim involved, because there they have far more obligation. Because you could always say, you know what, I don't know the person, I'm out of here. Um, the fact of the matter is, a lot of people complain, they call about Shaduchim references, they say references, yeah, the reference you gave are not going to tell me really what's about that person. I mean, I deal with this a lot, people call me. So if I see, know something that I find is, is going to be a problem, maybe a problem, very often what I'll say is I won't be very enthusiastic. I won't be negative. It's not necessarily my job. And I don't know this, all the circumstances. But I'll say you should look into it some more. Talk to these people who know the person. You know. And you have to be wise in how to do this. You don't want to mislead, but you also don't want to overstate things. That's why it's not really easy to answer. Because you need to know exactly what we're dealing with here. Then, of course, in a situation like my own or others, if they're coming to you as a mashpia or even as a therapist, is a therapist, is, 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 can a therapist expose something that is a confidentiality? So again, this is a big question. There's, we know what it is in the secular world. In the Taylor world, there's also questions what you can and cannot do if you're in that professional person swore you to secrecy or you know there's a confidential element. So you could then say, you know what, I know that person on that level and I'm not the person to ask. That doesn't mean I'm not saying there is a problem, I'm not saying there isn't. I'm just saying you have to talk to others. There's, there's many ways to deal and address this. Okay. Someone else wrote about this literally today. 
How much to reveal about a shidduch? Friends put other friends' names down as references. I personally will never say something bad about that person because I feel they will find out something negative. It shouldn't come from a reference, but from doing better research, asking random classmates. In short, I feel references only to say good things. Are my feelings correct? So I just addressed it. The feelings are correct generally, I would agree. The problem is when you have something very serious. Very serious. Serious person was, was in prison. A person is known to have done things that really, and you do not know that they're out of the woods. They did something really bad. So here are situations that you need to, to just say nothing is a, is a responsibility as well. To say everything is also a responsibility. That's why I, I hesitate to give a black and white answer. I know people like black and white answers. It just cannot give one. It wouldn't be responsible to do that. And I don't want and none of you in that situation, meaning near the date, would like someone to say things about you, even though people say, if I want to have the information, I want the information. But would you want everything that you about you that someone happens to know to share when some things may not be that significant or some things you've already worked through, etc.? That's why it's very important to be very wise, sensitive, responsible. I'm not talking about being reckless here. And take case by case by case. I'm more than happy if anybody has any questions on this matter, speak to me privately. Right, you can email me. You can call me. At um, you can email me at, uh, at, at, at go to meaningfullife.com slash my life and just in the anonymous box where you can submit your submit your questions. Just add your email address or your phone number, and I, we will respond to you. And I can communicate to you if you want. You can consult with others as well. But these are serious things that need to be addressed. And I say again, I find that most situations are not that emergency that you must share everything. And that's not because we're trying to hold back. We're trying to understand that human beings are not perfect. And you start, to, you know, I've, I've seen this in many t- situations where you ask friends, and friends have their own little competitiveness, and they said things about their friends which were not flattering and actually undermined a shidduch that could have been a shidduch. And when I heard about it, I said, you know, this person said something, which I know that person. It was not, you know, they, they had their own little issues with that person in yeshiva. So sometimes it's good to hear from friends. But you have to always take things with a grain of salt because people can exaggerate and if they're immature, say things that others will take the wrong way. They'll say, oh, that, that. You have to know what is an issue, what is not an issue. It's not a simple matter when it comes to these uh, issues of shidduchim. And I've unfortunately seen shidduchim that were undermined that could have been beautiful shidduchim. I can't say, you know, everything's azrocha pratis. And it's important to really address and respect the boundaries as well as address, you know, because you could also have the other way around. Not saying something can cause, but you're generally not saying something. And remember, the person still is dating that person, and that they responsibly will probably bring it up. But you could always be concerned. They may not bring it up. So I've seen situations where sometimes the third party says, you know what, if they bring it up in the date, great. If they don't, I can always tell them later that you should look into this. So there's a lot of ways to maneuver in this important, vital issue in our lives. Okay. Because we're already running late, I'm going to do the other follow-ups the following weeks. Right? I'm going to go to the Chassidus question. Let's go to the Chassidus question. Chassidus question is, so first of all, there was a comment on the Chassidus question of two weeks ago, episode 235, where I spoke about the so the one who asked the question wrote to me, thanks Rabbi Jacobs for referring me to learning Teres Chaim, to understand this Maimon and Teres a new light, Mosuk Midvash, sweeter than honey. Good, I'm glad you learned it and, uh, and it helped. 
Here's the question for this week. How does Chassidus explain the dislocation of Jacob's hip socket in yesterday's parsha? And what is its practical application in our lives? Okay, so I actually wrote about this, and I've spoken about it a number of times, from the Maimorim of Chassidus based on Kabbalah and so on, because it's definitely a mysterious parsha. Yaakov ends up alone on the other side of the river. He meets this mysterious man, which we later find out, or we learn and discover, is the angel of Esau. They wrestle all night. When the man, this angel, this mysterious man, sees he cannot uh, uh, win, conquer him, he dislocates his, sipha, his, his hip socket, Gid Hanosha. He wounds him. He wants to leave. Yaakov doesn't let him leave until he blesses him, and he turns his name from Yaakov. He gives him the name Yisrael the primary name of Eden till this day. And it says, Al-Kain, and that's why, Lo-Yechlu, B'nai Yisrael, Jews, till this day, Adi-Yemazet, don't eat from Gidan Nosha. Because the sciatic nerve or the tendon in that area of the hip socket was, it was severed or was injured by the angel. That's why we don't eat. Okay. So what is this? What's going on exactly? What is this? So the wrestle we know is the wrestle between two nations that began in the mother's womb, in Rivka's womb. Two nations are inside of you and they're battling. So they're both archetypes. Even Apipshat, this now doesn't need any interpretation. Yaakov and Esau twins are two nations, two archetypes. Kishazek come and this one rise, this one will fall. Generally understood, that's the two nations of Malchus Edem, Esau's Zehu Edem, and Eden, the Jewish people, with the Western Roman Christian world. That till this day we're in Golis Edem. The main Golis in the Western world is Golis Edem, which is the Golis of Esau. And Misrael, Yekov, so there's a wrestling going on. So the wrestle they had then was a wrestle that would be one for generations to come. But Esau cannot prevail, the angel of Esau cannot prevail, because they didn't have kayach and strength. As the Zayah says, the Yaakov's strength of his mechin and his midis was very powerful. But he looks for a vulnerable spot. What's a vulnerable spot? The hip socket. That connects chabad chagas to nihi. Netzachayid are the thighs, the hips. What's the disconnection? The disconnection, Naveda, the Zayah says, based on the Zayah, this explains, is that you can be very strong in Mechin and Midas, but if your actions are just mechanical and they're severed or somewhat disconnected, that's where Esau has a power to somewhat wound the person in their weaker spot. So we have to make sure, the Aveda is to make sure that our actions, Netzach and Heid Yisau, that part of the person is strongly connected. And we will heal, because this night indicates that night Medyakov heals and indicates the night of Golas where we get wounded, as the Ramban says, something from Medrash very strong, that every wound of Jews throughout history, every time they were oppressed, every time they were killed, they were in any way wounded, it all originates in the wound of the hip socket of Malach Avesav of Yaakov. But we will ultimately, as the Medrash also says, this night of Golas will end like the night ended there, and the morning will come and Yisrael will emerge. Because you, you vanquished, and you won even Amalach, even Amalach of Elikim. 
So you have the power to be stronger than anything. But Golis does take its toll. There is the wound, the limp. But we can transcend it. Now there's more that's said on this, and I'll just share maybe another one point or two. And if you go to MeaningfulLife.com and search for the, discal, the, discal, the dislocated hip, beyond our wounds and limps, you'll find an article I wrote about this that has what I'm discussing in more detail. So he says, the Gemara Chulin has a disagreement, two opinions, whether which thigh was, which hip socket, which thigh was the wound, the right side or the left side. Sometimes it says one side and the other. So Chassidus explains, and this is based on the Pardis, gate Shar Yudzayin called Yerech Yankif. And that is on this week's Parsha of Ayishlach. Explained in Sidrim Dach 304D and Derech Mitzvah the Mitzvah of Gidar Nosha. That's that Netzach and Heid is the two levels of Aveda of Netzach and determination. Heid is acknowledgement, humility. The and Tovshin Tes Pesach Mamorim, it's explained there that Netzach and Heid and Aveda is Edem and Yishmal, the two final Golas. And Aveda means that today we don't have all the Giluim I mentioned before with the miracles. But Netzach and Eid can be expected from everyone. Determination, like we learned in Basiligani, the sheer determination, Midas and Netzachim, to prevail over anything. And Heid, follow orders. Even if you don't feel it, even if you're not on that highest level. That strength strengthens the hips and corrects and the wound, heals the wound that, the, that Esau affected Yaakov in. Okay, as I said, there's more on this topic, and um, you can look it up. There's more, one more point, but because of time, I'll talk about it. Maybe I'll just add next week a little more. But you know what? I'll just share it already since it's in the Gishmak of Vort. The Zaya says, actually, the Zaya even hints that this all happened the war, the battle, the wrestling, the night of Yom Kippur. The Zaya says, Chilik Aleph, Kuf Ayin Beis, 170b. That the Posak Al Kain Layechlu Israel as Gidanasha. What's S? Should have said Gidanasha. It says S is Roshatev is Tisha of Tisha Ba'av. That what? Because of the the displacement of the hip by Esav, which refers to the Khurban Besamigdash by the Romans, children of Esav, Magdil Zuzemi, as the last Rashi in Bayishlach says. Alkain, that's why Layechlu, they didn't don't eat on Tishabov. Because of that Khurban Besamegdash, because that is a manifestation of the wound. That Kedis Yitzchak on the Pasha adds that even the word Gid is Gimel, is the third day of Tishrei, hinting to Tzem Gedalia. Yud is Asara Betevis, the tenth of Tevis. Dalit is the fourth month of Tammuz, the fourth from Nisan. And Gid is Gematria 17, so it's the seventeenth of Tammuz. So Alkain Layechlu Yisrael. S on Tishabov and Gid, those three other day, these four days, Hanosha is also the letters Hashana in the year, the four days, the four fasts that are connected to the displacement of the hip, which manifests in the destruction of the Besamikdash. So you can see when one Posik captures so much and the relevance to our personal lives, how we counter and heal from that wound. Okay. Someone also wrote. That I read your article on Jacob's hip. I'm experiencing this issue. I'm now seeing it very differently. This doesn't make it easy, but gives it purpose, which actually does lessen, does lessen the frustration. Thank you.
Let's go to the essays. Three essays. First one is A Journey Out of Depression by Leah Pekarsky, age 18, Brooklyn, New York, student, Benos Chamesh Academy. Depression has always been a constant problem in our society as we continuously modernize ourselves and evolve. So does, so does depression spread. It goes on to analyze depression. Talking about Alcoholics Anonymous, the different approaches that the world takes. But the bottom line is how Chassidus addresses it. Um, in a personal way, she applies it. And how she personally got through it through her own Jewish experiences in Israel. So a very personal essay, touching. And um, what I would say, what's weak on is really the Hasidic sources, but still worthwhile reading. As I said, every, personal journey, every person's journey is a journey worth following and worth respecting. So I thank you and respect the fact that you wrote this personal essay. The next is The Answer Within by Shmulek Fogman, age 25, Worcester, Massachusetts. Shliach Chabad of UMass Medical School. How to deal with life's decisions, dilemmas, and challenges. Based on the concepts explained in Chassidus, Abishvili Nivra Elam, Mashem Mitzadi Gover Kenanu, and Tevis Chedish Shaguf Nenaminaguf. And basically applies these principles to the idea of the challenges in life using the Gemara, the Mishnah and Hedren that Bishvili Nivra Elam, that the world was created for you and how you have to live up to your personal destiny, like Zusha, the story of the Zusha. Very concise, but sharp essay. And well done as well. And finally, essay number three this week, Identity-Driven Circumstances, Shmuel Shochat, age 32, Montreal, Canada, Shliach in Beth Chabad, Beth Chabad, CSL. Many of us have at one point challenged ourselves to achieve a life-defining goal. A majority have reached the point of creating a plan to achieve that goal. Some of us, some of us have even followed that plan for a time. But how many of us have actually achieved our goals? Through the prism of a fascinating talk given by the Lubavitcher Rebbe, and the Rambam, this essay will offer a different yet more effective method for becoming who we would like to be. Based on the Sikhe of the Rebbe, the Rambam talks about the three steps necessary for gear, for conversion, and then applies it to our personal lives. And that's what this essay does, translates it in a nice way, those three steps that can help a person get overcome their own challenges as they grow and their own metamorphosis in life. Okay. All these essays, the new ones as they're posted, can be found at MeaningfulLife.com slash MyLife. That's where you find all the archives, find also the essays, and also the forum where you can submit your questions and comments and so on completely anonymously. I'll also always add that we really depend on your sponsorships and dedications to make continue this program and make it expand in different ways, which we're working on. So please consider a dedication in the memory of a loved one or in honor of a loved one, especially as we go now to the days of Yutas Kislev, Chagagula, and then from that right into Hanukkah, illuminating the darkness with the light of what? Of Shemen, Primis Atera, the connection with Shemen, the Primis, that it's hidden in the olive. But when you squeeze the olive, it comes out in a more powerful way, as we discussed earlier. So everyone should have a good Yontif, Sometimes it says in a year that is filled and saturated with chsidis, right away connecting it to Yefutsum and Sachachutsu that will bring Osim Mardo Malka We're here every Sunday, 8 to 9 p.m. Chsidis, my life, chsidis applied.
everyone have a freilich in Yutas Kislev and a freilich Chanukah and a freilich Tomit. Be well.